fourteenth episode of Oz Cotton King is about to start, and Oz isn't here yet. I put a water balloon on his seat, and uh, I covered it up with a blanket, and uh, I'm just waiting for him to come in. I think he's coming in soon. Oz, you ready? I'm ready, man. I'm ready. All right, great. Uh, let me shut the door to the studio so we can sit down. How you been, Tim? Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. 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 What's happening? Not much. Are you ready? Freddy, Freddy, are you ready? Dude, I'm ready. Nice clothes. Thank you, man. Yeah, thank you, man. Dude. <laughs> what is this, man? Uh, are you kidding me? You tried to... You, you tried to prank me here? How did that get there, man? Dude. Glad I moved this blanket, man. Otherwise, I wouldn't <laughs> see it. I thought you would have. Oh man! Oh, the prank war is on. Yeah, man, it's on, man. The prank war is on. You tried spice to spice up the show. It's not done yet. Maybe, maybe I still got something in store for you. What are we gonna do with this balloon? Maybe we keep it for the next home game of Atlanta. <laughs> okay. I don't think we will throw it at anybody, but uh, it happens, man. Yeah, I know. That's, that'd be an interesting one, throwing water balloons. I think that'd be a fun little thing. <laughs> for, uh, yeah. It would be safe, at least. Exactly. Like It'd be much coins, safer. Yeah, so. right. Uh, speaking of uh, trouble, I'm sure, you you know, crowd trouble, I'm sure you followed this past week in Europa League, mm -hmm. Besiktas and uh, Lyon, in Lyon. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There was some crowd trouble in that game, wasn't there? It, it was. The game actually started like 30, 40 minutes later because of this. And I don't know who made the call to put the Turks on the top floor of the stadium and all the Leon fans uh, were kind of like, you know, there were Leon fans underneath them. Mm. So the Turkish supporters for Besiktas were throwing things, you know, spitting and uh, you know, yeah. beers and all kind of stuff. So what happened was the supporters below them went on the field, like hundreds of them, you know, they were like, we cannot deal with this, what's going this. on. No. Yeah, so I was just, you know, <laughs> laughing sure, about yeah. who made this call, you know? <laughs> and, you know, interesting uh, interesting for interesting week for Lyon, because <laughs> after that game, yeah. uh, in their own stadium with crowd trouble, uh, this weekend they played a game, I don't know if you heard, they played a game no. against Bastia okay. away. And um, the I think before the game, before the game and after the and during the game, sorry, like right before halftime, yeah. Bastia fans were absolutely harassing really? the Leon players. Yeah, and uh, they don't have like there isn't like a lot separating the fans from the field and from the players. Okay. So you're like pretty much right by them as you're walking out of the tunnel, as you're walking around the field, standing by the goals and whatnot. And uh, I remember I think it came to a. Uh, uh, a pinnacle of the confrontations right after halftime, right mm -hmm. before halftime, mm -hmm. right after halftime, as they're going into halftime. Yeah. And uh, the Leon goalkeeper was walking into the tunnel and came into a uh, altercation with fans, and fans got out like onto the field and like attacked a couple of really? players, including the yeah. That's uh that's uh, that's crossing the limit for sure. For sure, yeah. So it's not like just mocking on a fan. There was like taking it to. Oh, they actually like went after them you really know, physically something happened during the game or I don't think so not that I heard of um, but I just know it wasn't the first time because earlier in the game right before the game happened there was you know stuff going on as well I'm sure I'm sure during these sort of altercations or conference whatever you want to call them uh, it's not that entirely the Leon players as the victims I'm sure they probably provoked yeah. them somehow 
Yeah. Uh, or they definitely didn't do anything to defuse the situation. But pretty uh, troubling stuff for Leon. It is, man. <laughs> in it, a week. It, it, it is. And uh, talking about Leon, man, they were used to be a yeah. big team. Or like a very... I mean, they were Quality the... player trying to get back to yeah. that today. Yeah. How many titles? In the, I think they won seven league on titles in a row. Wow. <laughs> wow. They had uh, Juninho. Remember him? Oh, dude. Juninho Pernambuco. Something like that. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. But yeah, I remember yeah. his uh, free, free kick to Barcelona. It was the craziest free kick I've ever seen, man. Oh, man. Was, he, he, the way he swung, the way the touch on the ball, the way the ball moved in the air. It was like set for a new style of you know free kicks that players like you would say you know Ronaldo Gareth Bale right. somehow picked some of that technique but Lyon was a big team during that era they also had uh, Benzema towards True. later yes, years younger yes. Benzema and Florin Maluda True. so I mean Lyon yep, yep. coming to the Champions League quarterfinals exactly right Yeah, I think they even got semifinals one time wow. I think I can't remember Yeah, uh, but yeah, Lyon were a big club, seven league on titles in a row. Uh, you know, they were the team in France, kind of like what PSG are now. And you know that Lyon with Lacazette, with uh, Fakir, uh, they're trying to get these young players that are still yet to get their peak. They're trying to, you know, get back to those glory days of Lyon. I remember after the decline of Lyon, mm-hmm. they have a big investment in their own academy money-wise instead of buying a top player they put that money into the academy and the the, the seeds from that you can see with the talents they have today yeah. and they kind of refuse selling them so the picture yeah. of Leon that I have today is this a talented group of players that is striving for become uh, again a top team yeah um, and wow, you, it's a it's a big change in their image and identity from the Champions yeah, sure. League days to now. For sure. Like I said, it's almost like what Leon were, that's kind of what PSG are now. Yes. Uh, but you mentioned the uh, stadium of, uh, or sorry, you mentioned that the Turkish fans were up in, uh, you know, a high corner of the stadium. Well, I remember they have a, they have a new stadium. That I think this is their first full season. Oh, the new season. okay. It's made for the Euros, right? Uh, but I remember their last stadium, which was pretty decent, I guess, but it was definitely a lot smaller. Yeah. They probably weren't able to put Turkish Turkish people at the top. There wasn't <laughs> as much, huh. you know, second tier seating, you know. But now this state new stadium is such a nice quality stadium, beautiful stadium, massive stadium. I think like 67,000. Wow. So they're thousand. really doing a big investment to coming back to the top tier. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fascinating. It really is. Welcome to the 14th episode of Oz Kachin King Soccer Podcast Show! <laughs> Rubinho, Boateng, fa passare, Ibrahimovic, tornare di rigore, splendida giocata, Slata! Ibrahimovic! 2-0, un un, 2-1, un'altra volta si porta sulle spalle Ibrahimovic, la squadra... Kerry, this weekend it was a game between Inter and Milan. Yeah, one of my favorite derbies in the world. It's not my favorite. Fascinating stories, long history between the clubs. Yeah, sharing the same stadium in the same city, 
and wherever you go in Milano is like either blue or red yeah you yeah. know it's so close to in, into each other and it's been a long road since uh, Inter and Milan really competed in the top uh, top of the league I know yeah they've definitely been on the decline for the last several years not like the Inter and AC Milan that uh, many of us have known growing up when you had like Kaká, you had Zanetti, Maldini, uh, uh, Nesta, right? And um, Ibrahimovic for a long sure. time. So not the same type of Mm-mm. star power that Mm-mm. goes to this derby like there was in the past. I mean, uh, it takes a bit long time to make a... Uh you know build up something you know something new and i remember this interview with carlo ancelotti mm. he got milan a question legend. yeah milan legend even as a player yep. has doing so much great stuff with so many big teams around the world he is probably the best coach i would say like coming in into a new club and immediately kind of get his ideas into place yeah i know i mean Milan and uh, Inter have both sort of lost their way, lost their identity or so. They're trying to get that back. Right. Uh, kind of like how I mentioned with Lyon. True. And there's so many other big clubs around the world that yeah. used to be massive superstar, superpower clubs that have just sort of lost it and, you know, seem like they're trying to, they're like in limbo trying to find themselves again. They are. They are. I and mean, in this interview, Carancelotti speaks shortly about with what happened with Manchester United. Ah, perfect classic example, yeah. Let's listen to it. Mourinho is a fantastic manager, so everyone knows him. He knows really well the Premier League. I think it will be a fantastic sign for for Manchester United to improve and to be better than the last two years. The job of, of Van Gaal was not easy because he, he has to rebuild the team after the big player they, they lost, after Finished career, Ryan Giggs, Coles, uh, Ferdinand. And, uh, it's not easy. The same what happened to Milan. You know? For example, when Maldini, Gattuso, Inzaghi stopped playing, uh, he had to rebuild a new team and it take time. This take time. And, and so the, the, the job of Juan Gal, I think, was not easy. But in the last, in this year, they played a lot of young players, really good, Martial uh, and others. That uh, I think that uh, his job was not bad. So when you took over at Chelsea, um, one of the jobs that you, you were tasked with was creating an identity for the club. Do you feel that since Sir Alex Ferguson left Manchester United, that that's what they're searching for? Uh, as I said, I think that uh, Manchester United in the last year lost his identity, not only because leave uh, uh, Ferguson, but also because they, they lost a fantastic player. So you have to rebuild the identity, you have to rebuild the personality uh, of the team and it takes time. In football, you need time to, to build something. A question to you. When do you think was the last time Inter and Milan had that high standard? Yeah. And when was it really that they kind of went down? Um, well, they've had that high standard for, you know, for most of their history, uh, especially in the last decade, the 2000s decade. I'd say that sort of came to an end Mm -hmm. once uh, 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 Milan won the league title. First of all, 
uh, Inter won the treble 2010. Yeah. Milan then won the league title in 2011. And then uh, I know Milan came in second in 2012, the following year. And that's once Juventus have since dominated. So I'd say that 2012 sort of season was the last time that uh, Milan was and Inter were, you know, full of big name, big quality teams. I'm happy about your analysts and your answer. To be honest, man, I feel so lucky, so lucky that me and DR and a few of our friends went a trip to Milano that 2011-2012 season and watched Inter against Milan. Uh. It was the top game in Italy then mm-hmm. uh, before they really went down in this decline yeah and it was a great game a lot of things happened and it was beautiful just to be with our friends and experience the city and everything right and uh, I want us to call DR DR your brother my twin brother your twin brother my twin brother I want us to call DR and kind of get a game report, live report, a travel report from this trip that we all did. Mm. Are you okay with it? Absolutely. We can discuss some a bit of, of we can discuss a bit of what we just talked about. Right. Awesome. All right, let's call him, man. Hey, Dia, what you Nej, jag sitter här med Kerry och vi hänger bara lite grann. Jag berättar precis för honom hur lycklig lottad jag känner att jag är. För att eh, vi var ju på Inter Milan-matchen 2011-2012-säsongen. Ja, exakt. Alltså vilken sjuk match det var. Ja, den var, den var magisk. Alltså, på många sätt och vis var den någonting extra. Alltså allting hände ju typ i den matchen. Ja, allt. Ja, verkligen. Så många topplirare och allting Så vi, var, vi snackade om, precis om Inter och Milans storhet Och hur grymma de var ett tag där liksom. Men någonting hände ju Så jag tänkte så här, Jag ringer Diabrosan och pratar lite grann om honom Hur det var i Milano då Hur ja. vi kom Så um, Kerry Say hi to DR Hi DR Hi Kerry <laughs> Good to have you on the show Nothing much yeah. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm honored to be in your show uh, the first time. Yeah. So, welcome. Thanks for having me. Welcome, welcome. So. So yeah, no. Uh, Derby de Milano. Yes, oh. Derby de, de Milano, man. <laughs> Inter played against Milan this weekend, and uh, we actually went to Inter Milan. Me, you, and what were we like five, six other friends. So we were a group, group of friends, right? Yeah. And, correct. Uh, yeah. You know, since they played this weekend, me and Kerry was talking about how we was back then when me and you and the guys went. So we were like, let's call DR, you know, let's get his <laughs> point of view. So can you a bit yeah. tell about, the, uh, you know, how the idea kind of came around for us to go to this Milan game and this travel yeah. trip itself? Yeah. Oh, no, I, I really love this, you know, it's uh, a group of guys you know enthusiastic about football basically what we did was uh, ask uh, friends who wants to follow us with the 
to see a game basically in Europe, any game. Um, but we ended up ending up with the biggest derby in yeah. Italy and the most important game uh, as well. So um, we went there, and as I liked it so much, you know, I made a quiz. A derby quiz on flight yeah. to, to the guys <laughs> just some uh, history and facts and everything like that and, I remember you know, that do you remember how, you, yeah. how well you did? I lost, I, I, <laughs> I lost. we have a it's lot tricky, of man. good soccer knowledge people man excellent <laughs> basically the last five managers they had in the past something like that no but I, the building up was really good being the city like Milano is beautiful so uh, what we did basically uh, we went to the stadium you know uh, San Siro or Cuesepa de Miazza as it's called you know mm, yeah. uh, and it's really interesting because I mean uh, this is the two teams in one city that play in the same stadium yeah st- stadium so uh, that's kind of unique yeah I love it otherwise you have the teams has their own stadiums, right? Right. So this is uh, two D teams, the biggest teams, that play in the same stadium, and uh, also the history is really interesting in the terms of that uh, AC Milan fans and supporters is more of a working class uh, fans, while uh, Inter has more this kind of luxury fans, and you can see that in the name, their nicknames basically. Uh, AC Milan has Rossoneri, which mm-hmm. means a, a more of a, uh, the fans needed to transfer or only could transfer transfer to the stadium by public transport, basically. While uh, Azuri, the Inter Milan's nicknames, uh, was more of the luxury people as they could transfer to the stadium by motorcycle. Hmm. So the contrast between these teams has an importance in this game. And uh, also I, re- I remember that uh, Milan was a few points behind Juventus mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. and ne- needed to uh, win to be able to challenge the title. Yeah. So everything was there in the beginning. And uh, yeah, it was really, really cool, you know, to be able to see the stadium. Oh man, I'm telling you, it it's was beautiful. so beautiful, wow. so beautiful. I mean, capacity of 80,000, the fans, the energy, uh, and the TIFO, the singing, and also to see the elves behind the stadium far away, you know, uh, made me have a goosebumps all my body, you know. I can just imagine it. I mean, uh, whenever I think of the San Siro, I love there's like those two or four towers that look like like castle towers to me. So uh, I think that's beautiful. Dude, it feels like forever to... Just go through that spiral, <laughs> get right. up all the way till you see, you know. What about the yeah, uh, architecture genius, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, but I have to tell you that you have to be that to experience or something like that, you know, to be able to, you know, to grasp the importance and the feeling. It's really unique in that terms. And we were sitting around the corner of the this, uh, field, basically, but we had a really good view. And all, all over the place, you can have a great view nice. of the game, basically, yeah. What about the uh, players on each team? Big-name players, oh, though. Well, yeah, now, I, I mean, you have to think about the time, you know, 2012. Uh, a lot of things happened around that year, for the, both of the teams. The identity 
made a mark at the time, you know. The year before Inter won the triple, you know, and Milan had a good era also. Uh, team players, I remember Zlatan, obviously, and uh, Rubinho was playing at the time. You had Tico Silva, Nesta in the defense, and uh, you had the players like uh, Pauto, Van Bommel. Oh was man, there as well, I think, him. right? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, while well, in Inter you had uh, Schneider, the creative playmaker. Oh man, he was so good then. He know? was good. That he, triple season was... when they won all three trophies, he was uh, yeah. the key player in that, in that team, yeah. Mourinho's big squad, right? Right. It was so enjoyable to see him playing, you know, the way he was uh, handling the ball, you know, the technique he had. And uh, Diego Milito. Uh, the striker Diego Forlan was another striker as well, and um, then they had uh, Nagamoto, I think they had at the time as well, and Walter Samuel, Maicon, uh, Julio Cesar. So yeah, no, the both team had really good uh, uh, players uh, at the time. So, uh, however, later on something happened, right? Something changed the, for the both of the teams. Yeah, But I mean, I think. If you look at, if you look at the, that era, it was like Inter won like four seasons in a row. Yeah. And, and then they had the treble. Then Milan won. Yeah. And uh, we went the season where uh, Juventus actually won the league. Yeah, but it was the first in a while. I mean, you said for a while, for like I don't know maybe several years it was just those two clubs. Those two only. Like you said, Inter yeah. won several times yeah. in a row. Milan was in Champions League finals, right. Champions League semifinals. Exactly. They won it the year before. So, and then Juventus came and won that season. And I remember uh, Milan just sold. I mean, this we went end of the season, right? But that season, Pirlo was playing at Juventus. Yeah. And Pirlo was That's playing true. at Juventus, and I believe they had Allegri as no, they had. Uh, Conte at the time, yeah, uh, they had Conte at the time and uh, Pavel Nedved as a director of sports or uh, you know pulling the strings for the club. Um, but Inter had a very successful season before. So yeah. I, tell me about this game, man. Tell me about these games because it's kind of like the last time it was the peak for both of these teams. And uh, this game really had everything, didn't it? Yeah, it had everything you, you can wish for, uh, and that's what I love about uh, uh, specific this game, basically. And uh, I've been a lot of games and experienced a lot of live games around Europe. I have to say, uh, a derby in Milano, it had everything, uh, has everything usually as well. And uh, this game, you know, had. Uh, Penalties, they had cards, uh, gamemanship, you know, uh, uh, psychology, uh, talking around, and uh, it was a really tough game for both the teams, as I said. And but it started beautiful. It went, I mean, uh, Milan uh, took the lead by Slatan, obviously. Slatan, Slatan. <laughs> It's so good to be able to see him score as well because summer up basically his season at the time. I think he went to be the goal king that season. 
So he started right the, the goal um, and then... That penalty, there was a penalty, right? So it was between um, him and Julio Cesar. I think a lot of people remember when Julio Cesar came out and tried to distract Slatan. I mean, Slatan has been playing <laughs> with them for so long yeah. too. And, uh, you know, gave them multiple, helped them gain multiple yeah. t- uh, titles. Yeah. So, and this penalty was right in front of the injury supporters. Julio Cesar came out, tried to, you know, psych him, tried to say a couple of things. And Ibra, man, my man, he he had the best answer. He just scored that goal like he always do on the left corner really hard. And then he looked up to the interface with his arms out and, you know, was saying something while all the Milan players were jumping on him. You could see that he's yeah. huge, right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> was, you know, jumping on him. Uh, so right there, right there uh, pretty early on in the game, it was set the tone, you know? We, we started yeah. off really good. Yeah. Passion's high right off the bat. Big time. And we know that Ibra's master on doing that, you know? That's, that's identification of Ibra. Be able to do something like that as well. So it was really good to witness that uh, in San Siro. However, you know, the game was really good. As I mentioned, you uh, 1 0 to AC Milan. However, uh, Inter equal- equalized later on uh, by, I think it was uh, Diego Milito. No? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Diego Milito on yeah. penalty, yeah. Uh, and and uh, I think uh, Apiat injured himself as well the first half, so that changed the game a little bit. Uh, and uh, uh, later on, uh, beginning of the second half, Slatan scored one more time. This goal. So two one, once again, yeah. AC Milan. And that was also, you know, if you talk about what he did in the first goal, the second goal was even more beautiful. You know, yeah, he just ran back to the, with the ball to the midfield. Uh, and uh, just putting the ball there, you know, and then, you know, standing there, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, the centrum uh, was looking at him, you know, and that was a, also really good that marked his uh, great achievements that year as well, actually. And then uh, Diego Melito, that had already an amazing season the year before, but... Even in this game, man, he stepped up. He scored two more goals. He had a hat trick, dude. He had a hat trick in this yeah. game. That's also very rare if you look at the derby. Yeah, history. that doesn't happen very often. No. no, yeah, he was so important for Inter in the, that that year, but the two last years before as well, you know. Uh, and uh, to be able to score a hat trick in that game, I, I mean, come on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now he had a good time, at, uh, and uh, so I think he went three-two later on to Inter Milan as they changed the game. But the last goal, man, I have to tell you, the last goal was so beautiful. It was uh, right. Yeah, it was insane, man. Uh, do you remember the last goal, Kiri? I don't. I do not remember. I'd love to be r- reminded. I mean, it's like uh, Mike on has the ball, he dribbles on the right side as he was yeah. the right defender. He kind of, you know, steps in a bit into the field, but still very far outside of the penalty box. And he takes that shot and he just goes like a rocket far high up in the left oh, I I... left corner, you know, really hard. And we all were so surprised that he even took that shot. <laughs> but yet, see, it's, it was because it was, it was at the 
goal where we were mm. and you know he just took off his jersey and ran ah, to I the think fans I do this. yeah and everybody yeah. kind of gathered around him you know what yeah. a way to, to to steal the win yeah oh, big time i think even there was one player at inter that kind of retired after this game they are what do you say i think there was one inter player that retired after this game cordoba um maybe I don't remember. I don't know. It was something I remember like that. that yeah. uh, I mean, I know that Maicon was uh, sentimental because I think he just come came back from an injury, a long term injury. So I know that he was uh, really emotional after the goal. Uh, and but uh, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I think someone retired. Actually, Maybe. say that probably was uh yeah Ivan Cordoba. I think that's true because Zanetti. Uh, Zanetti was still at the club at the time too. Yeah, but I yeah, think he left he was, the he was, season yeah. the season afterwards or two seasons afterwards. I think so. It probably yeah. was like Cordoba, maybe Samuel. Yeah, true. Yeah. But, yeah. but I'm curious, Dr. Because this game, it sounds like actually I, I vaguely remember watching this game on TV. But this game, as we said, was one of the last games where both clubs were still near their peak almost Juventus was back yeah. they won but these clubs were still at the top of their game at top of Italian football and the game had everything amazing goals passion uh, excitement back and forth and it was a big game as like you said Milan needed to win to keep pace with Juventus but yeah. I'm curious to hear what you think uh, happened since then because since then that was really the last season that both clubs were good since then, they've just been sure. such a such a decline. So, what do you think is yeah. you know the reasoning or well, something? I think there is a lot of few reasons for both of the teams actually. Uh, first of all, first of all, economy. Uh, uh. I think the economy made a big part of it. Uh, as you know, Berlusconi for AC Milan had problems. He had some uh, law case against him, you know, and. Um, uh, so I think the economy in AC Milan was a big problem as they sold Thiago Silva that summer right. and Zlatan. Uh, I think Pirlo left also to Juventus that yeah. year as well. Year so before, yeah. I, think, before, yeah. I think they tried to save uh, uh, the finance by selling uh, big name, big names. But these big names in AC Milan made a big part of the era for the success, you know. So they couldn't replace these players so good. And since then, they actually struggled a lot of years until they changed their concept to go for the more talented players, as we see them now, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, otherwise, I think it's just a kind of politics as well. Because you can see that also in Inter Milan, they also lose lose that uh, economy as well. And uh, but, uh, but particularly for Inter, I would say that they had problems with managers. Ah. A lot of managers went off the Mourinho. I think four four uh, managers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in and out. I think they had already an aged group of teams, team players like Sanetto you mentioned, mm. Diego Forlan. Uh, Cambiaso, yeah. Cambiaso, Schneider, Stankowicz. so Stankowicz as well, yeah. Julio Cesar left later on as well. So they had a lot of players that they needed to also find new players for, which they wasn't able to do that. But at the same time, you could see how Juventus 
went on and buying a lot of good players in uh, Zero A and and have a um, really good finance, stability, a new stadium, and a philosophy by Conte, right. a good established. Uh, so when the other teams, these two teams, went down on development, uh, Conte basically made a foundation. Uh, Conte and Juventus created an identity that year by winning Serie A, coming back from Serie B, and just keep on going on that wave since then by the identity. And still you can feel that identity in the atmosphere in, in Turin. While in AC Milan and Inter, the identity lost. You know, when you lose players like Thiago Silva and Slatan, you lose part of your identity. Uh, is that winning mentality in a sense yeah, yeah Rubinho also you Rubinho. know he wasn't the, that good part to decrease his, his, the achievements he did in Zag as well so uh, I think this is a few important reasons what happened during that time uh, so basically think... can you can you say then more or less the message and the vision the club kind of shows on the pitch right or express or with their efforts kind of uh, giving the trust among fans as well or amongst uh, players too in that squad right what is the club I... wants to do what is the club wants to achieve the goals the club wants to uh, be able to be at and the end of the season that kind of was diffused now you know it wasn't clear anymore when all these players kind of was gone what are we aiming for you know mm. obviously we're going for the first spot but I mean, that's kind of hard now for Milan to say we're going to challenge for the title. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. You're definitely right. You know, what kind of message do you give to your fans uh, when you're selling your best players? That's it, you know. Yeah, and uh, um, basically, if you look at Juventus, you know, they had a clear vision, you know. They had a clear vision, you know, where they want to go, where they want to be. I mean, Juventus aiming for. Uh, Champions League title yeah. at the time as well, you know. Even when they're coming back from Serie B, you know, they're not aiming for Serie A. The, but so the aiming high, the vision was clear. Juventus, while it was actually missing in Inter and in Milan, uh, so the message was just giving giving wrong messages to the fans, basically. So, so we are, so we are. You know, cheering for Milan, right? Kerry, you a Milan supporter. I have, I'm you know? a big admirer of him. I, I have a Milan jersey at home, and we've been to Milan games, obviously. So with this... I had Inter, you know? <laughs> you had the Inter at this game. You had the Inter at this game. I had uh, I had Ibrahimovic jersey. DR had uh, Milito jersey. <laughs> and, you know, um, whenever, whenever uh, the fans wanted to give me a bad time, I just I just pointed at him and then I ran away. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great it was a great trip with our friends, you know. That's that intimate and it's not that hard actually. Uh, cheap flight ticket, cheap hotel. The tickets were relatively cheap as well, and we we totally did it, man. It was amazing. So before we thank you, dear, in this episode of you, that you took a part of, um, yeah. with, with the sale of the club to the new owners yeah right the new owners yeah. the chinese owners that bought the club for like 700 million euros which is a lot of money can we hope 
that it will have a similar impact that the sheikhs from uh, you know Dubai the bought city can it have the same kind of impact and effect that's do you think it will just short about that and then uh, we really thank you man that you joined our show yeah yeah well I want to say yes but I, I kind of doubt it you know uh, I'm not I don't know so much about uh, these people uh, but I something says that it's not gonna be the same Just ask him to repeat that one part. Well, you know, I guess that was the answer, really. You know, I guess so. You know, <laughs> it's not gonna be the same. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. Thanks. Uh, no, but I think uh, I think it's not gonna g give the same effect. Like Man Man City, basically, and uh, it depends on what kind of players they buffed in and how they're gonna play basically but I, I doubt it I think it's gonna take a few years before we can see a really big battle right. between four or five teams really really big battle right. and the end of the season yeah and uh, I, I, I just want to mention also something else with the, the trip we did to Milan I mean we talk about the game but everything around it you know just the before the after the talking, the stories we had, the evenings, the mornings, uh, everything around it building up a great trip, you know, and to be able to see a great game with, with friends, enjoying a new city, and and doing everything, you know, you have a great stories behind it, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's Precious. really easy as well, like Oz mentioned, you know, uh, so... Uh, just just go for it I'll <laughs> say you know because yeah. uh, you it's a great experience awesome. to be able to share that with some friends and memories sure. like we mentioned it right now so but thanks guys for uh, having me on your awesome King podcast show and uh, I wish you all the best luck uh, and I hope to be part of your show maybe later on absolutely you will man yeah, yeah no doubt you will all great right. stuff okay take care guys Thank you, det är... Ha det bra, brorsan, vi okay. hörs sen, okej? Okay? Det gör vi, ha det bra. Hej då. Hej då. Yes, Kerry, that was a really good perspective from DR about the team's situation today, how it was, mm. and about that game. Yeah. And um, if you can please give us a bit um, update about the game this weekend, how it was. Yeah. Uh, well... Like DR said, you know, the the game that you guys watched was yeah. the two teams were still, Milan in particular, were still fighting. They're still at the peak. I must say it was a little sad because going into this game, mm -hmm. Milan and Inter are sixth or worse, sixth and seventh <laughs> oh my God. in Serie A, oh my which God. that's a little sad to have a Milan derby, you know, where the teams are that low in the wow. table. I must say I've watched the I've watched the Milan derby for the past several years, even yeah. while they've been in this slump. Yeah. And there's always been excitement. And it's always been a passionate game, just like the past, even without the big names. Mm -hmm. And this game was no different. No okay. different. Uh, Mil okay. uh, sorry, Inter going two goals in front by, before halftime. But That's then, good, man. Know, two real goals good. in first first half? Real good. And uh, Cardi and Candreva with the goals. Okay. And in the second half, 
It was uh, Milan, who even in the first half, they kept fighting. They didn't actually play that poorly, in my mm-hmm. opinion, despite going down. Uh, they kept to their game plan with Deo Lefeu, Suso on the wings, Oof. who are just electric. They've just... Yeah. Two of the hardest wingers to stop in Serie Very out. creative yeah, absolutely. players. Absolutely. And without Bonaventura, who I think is Milan's best player, who's injured for the season, it's uh, it's good to have these other people stepping up. Yeah. And uh, they did. They came back. Uh, one goal, but the real excitement was the last you know, minute of the game. There was six or seven minutes of stoppage time added on. And Milan got a corner, and it was literally past past stoppage time it was oh like God. a few seconds past yeah. the time that was supposed to be given but the ref let them play take the corner and it came into Zapata Christian Zapata mm-hmm. central defender he just got his foot on it off the crossbar just over the line and then back out really? yep <laughs> and then, then Inter cleared the ball away wow. but goal line technology came through thank you thank you yep thank last you. literally the last kick of the game wow. afterwards the ref blew the whistle 2-2 two to two. Oh. And so, just like I said, even without the big names, even though we want to see Inter Milan playing as you know, first against second or second against third or something like that, it rather will, than sixth against seventh, this it, game was still super exciting. And it will always be Derby di Madonina. Suso measuring up. Driven to the edge of the six. Oh. It's not a down by Baca. Oh, Cleared off the line by Medel. Or it's did it in. cross? It's in for an equalizer. 97th minute. Look at the watch, says Orsato. Goal line technology. It's Inter 2. Milan 2. What a finish. The final touch of the game. It's an equalizer for the Rossoneri. Strum of the highest level, the final kick of the match, and did it cross the line. Let's see, goal line technology confirms that Zapata's last touch of the game was enough to get it about a foot inside the crossbar. Hops off the crossbar, and there, goal line technology giving no mistake. It's whipped in by Souza. Look at Andanovic, though, he's in no man's land. He comes out, he's not sure. Whether to continue his run, it's whipped in with so much pace. And here Zapata comes off of his shin. And even Kishke Andas going absolutely mental on the sideline. What a finish. Christian Zapata, his first goal of the season, his first goal in a Milan derby. And it's the equalizer in the 97th minute. Icardi in disbelief. Great to have Dr. on the show finally, wasn't it? Was, it it was. was. We've had some really nice talk to, talks with him before. It's always great talking. It's some good uh, insight on the status of the Milan Derby nowadays and how it was back then. Once you guys saw that big game, for sure, for sure, it's always good to have Tim Brother on the show. And it was his first time, and I think he did good. He gave us a good yeah, picture definitely. of uh, the game, the city, the trip itself, and the players that were at the clubs at that time, and. Um, we talked about the uprising of Inter a bit, right? They were they were what they were like at their peak, peak at you know, the peak. What we all yeah, remember exactly at the peak, and they kind of reached that peak because in two thousand six mm. there was a big scandal. Big, yeah. 
There was a big scandal in 2016 with they call it Calcio Poli. Yep. Uh, and what does Calcio Poli mean? I don't exactly know. <laughs> I'm not actually okay. know either. Calcio. So Calcio means soccer. Yeah. I don't know what Poli is. <laughs> but it, it is. We'll have to look up our our Italian friends and ask their <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. But what was the Calcio Poli scandal? Well, what I can remember it was uh, it came up during the summer of 2006 when... Um, yeah, it was right before the World Cup, I remember. Exactly, right before the World Cup. And it was after Juventus won the season. It came up a scandal that Juventus... I think it was Juventus general manager, Luciano Moggi. And he had talked with several other... Uh, officials of Italian football yeah. and referees and maybe even clubs, right, that uh, give some benefits to Juventus throughout the league. Mm. And uh, it was a scandal where not only Juventus was in it, it was also other teams, clubs, yeah. I other think, clubs. I think Milan were at some sort of small part in that yes. as well, I believe. Um, Milan, Fiorentina, Lazio, and I think it was a club like was it Regina? I think so, yeah. Regina that had, you know, talked to the refs or uh, officials to give them help. Yeah. Give them some benefits. And, you know, when you look at the Italian culture in general, this didn't really be... what well, This wasn't really a massive surprise. I don't know, yeah. It's not, in I'm, Italy, yeah, like, it's not, there's a, apparently... Things like this has been going on for a long right. time, but for us, they are in the abroad, not in that culture. It was obviously a big scandal. I mean, it's really about match fixing. Exactly. Yeah, like you said, that's not that uncommon in Italy in particular. I bet, especially if you go to lower leagues or so. But uh, it's not that uncommon to you know have these hints. Or these scenes of match fixing, right? Uh, in Italian football, a similar South, uh, you know, South European country, Turkey, had also a big scandal where I believe it was Fenerbahce's uh, president Aziz Yildirim. They arrested him, and they were like something stupid about he was going to get so many years, like something really outrageous number of years in prison because of match fixing. And the kind of culture in there was that they were talking to opponents mm. of, uh, let's say, Besiktas was playing a team, right? They were talking to the opponent of Besiktas to... Uh, play a bit harder. Harder, play yeah. a bit better, play harder by giving them a bit of bonus. Right. And maybe it wasn't really directly a match-fixing. They still somehow tried to affect the outcome yeah, by right. some type of um, motivation of... There's an added incentive there for exactly. Yeah. Incentive is the right word. So this scandal came massively, and it was right before World Cup 2006, and everybody was shocked. Yeah. And uh, a club like Milan was in it, right? And uh, they didn't get any severe punishment. I think they were docked some points. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, they were docked some points. Some of the other teams were docked some points. But the biggest punishments went out to the teams that were, you know, uh, considered to have played the biggest parts, uh, roles in this scandal. Uh, Juventus, one of them, and the, that major punishment that they got, of course, actually, no, Juventus's uh, punishment was in addition to being relegated yeah. to Serie B, uh, they had that title, 2006 title, as well as 
previous 2005 title right. taken away from them, stripped from them. So, uh, massive punishment, and Juventus, like you said, a club that had never been relegated, suddenly forced to go to Serie B, play there the next season. It was not such like a shock, such a huge happenstance of I mean, Italian soccer. It was it was unbelievable, right? Uh, you had Juventus with players like uh, Ibrahimovic, Del Piero, right. Patrice Vieira, you Chizegui. had Chizegui, Emerson... Uh, Buffon, you know, you had a Chiellini, lot. I believe was, uh, was there. He was there too. Chiellini was there. So you yeah, had a, a lot of uh, top players that all of a sudden this massive club from Italy got relegated to Serie B. People were wondering how they would, you know, if they'd be able to respond well, if they'd be able to come back well. Uh, I don't think they had much trouble. They didn't have any trouble at all getting back that first season in Serie B. They absolutely destroyed every, uh, uh, every uh, opponent. Every opponent, uh, and you know the other teams were also in danger. Like Lazio were facing relegation to Serie B. Fiorentina was doing it. Regina was as well. And uh, the only team that actually got relegated was Juventus, yeah, and they had to start with minus nine points. Yeah, yeah. It was a big uh, immigration of players from Juventus at this time. Slatan went to Inter, Emerson to Real Madrid. Vieira went to Inter. Vieira went to Inter. And maybe the f- only ones that kind of stayed was, you know... Um, Del Piero. Del Piero. Buffon. Yeah. Uh, I think Trezeguet. Trezeguet stayed as well. Del- Chiellini. Yeah, Chiellini. And, and kind of the real core, right, right. kind of stayed. And uh, they brought in Pavel Nedved as... Uh, Sporting director at this time. I think he would. Yeah, he probably just retired from playing. Playing, yeah. So yeah. So I know the people. So that's you know good for Juventus. I know people certainly questioned how well they would be able to bounce back mm-hmm. from this relegation, and they destroyed every opponent in Serie B. But then even once they got back to Serie A, it's like how well would they, uh, how well would they be able to you know get back to where they were as the top, the most hated club in all of Italy, yeah. the most successful club in all of Italy. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't super easy for them. Inter, like, Inter then took Ibra and Patrick Vieira, right. and they would go on to win, like we touched on with, touched on with DR, five titles in a row, in row. culminating with the treble. Yeah. So AC Milan were still at the top of their game, so it was not easy for Juventus. There was a, a lot of years of struggle um, to find that spirit back. Right. Really, find that winning spirit of uh, the old uh, Juventus. Because before this happened, Juventus had won like four seasons in a row. It was something like that. Mm. It was four seasons in a row, but they took away this last trophy of theirs. Yeah. So that's kind of what is a big discussion about if they had won for the titles yeah, in total is. you know because right. one was stripped away and when you ask the players back then they say you know we just played for us you yeah. know we won you know the fans as well they say we were wrongly wrongly yeah. taken these titles were wrongly taken away from us so it's like to them they have i think it's 32 right now i think right so to them they have 32 or no maybe 33, 33 or 30, something like that but officially they have 31 or 32 or yeah. something like that so so the interesting is the past four years now you know the past yeah. four years Juventus has won 
the league title. Yeah. And two years ago, they were in the Champions League final against Barcelona mm-hmm. and lost the game. Yeah. Um, and Dia kind of touched on it. When they kind of came back, they didn't want to go to the league title. They wanted to have the Champions League. That was the vision. That was the idea. That was what the club around everybody in this team were working towards this goal of reaching uh, Champions League again. Champions League play, but also had the dreams of Champions League title. And eventually Conte came in. Yeah. And um, in addition to Conte, the new Juventus Stadium came in. Right. Which was a big uh, upgrade from the Deli Alpi and the Olympico where they were before, which weren't very fan, weren't very much loved by the fans. Yeah, right? it wasn't really fan-oriented no, stadium. All, yeah. So they got the new uh, Juventus Stadium. Conte came in, like you said, uh, and he immediately mm. implemented his you know style, his right. philosophy onto the right. club. So. Let's think about it, right? So what really happened was they got relegated, they came back up, interdominated several years, mm-hmm. and then after that, nobody has even been close to Dude. take Juventus down. Right. How? What happened? How? Apparently, it is possible for clubs that seem to have lost their way or something happened, lost their identity, to immediately get back. Because now Juventus are just like they were before the scandal they're just as hated just as successful as they were before the scandal so Carlo Ancelotti said before that mm. we heard that it takes a long time to build yeah it takes a long time to get that identity or personality when do you think they really got that personality I mean apparently they were building for something they, for me it was when they actually bought Pirlo and he was delivering yeah you know, everybody was talking about Pirlo is too old. I mean, come on. Like, Pirlo is too old when he got the transfer to Juventus. And all the things he has done for the club. Yeah, I know. That's I insane, man. First, the fact that Juventus took Pirlo away from another rival in Milan. True. Yeah. Uh, and then, like you said, immediately Pirlo immediately delivers. As if he's... Like he always does. And immediately Juventus... I think that was Juventus' first title. Mm. And I think that season they won it... Or maybe the next season, they won the whole season unbeaten. Wow. So, uh, wow. I mean, <laughs> with Pirlo at the four, Carlos Tevez at the four. Right. Uh, so Juventus, is, they just managed to bring in these really big stars. Also, Paul, young Paul Pogba. Mm. That even though they would eventually lose Del Piero and Trezeguet. Uh, and that they lost Ibra and Patrick Vieira. All those players. They yeah. lost all those players, but... They replaced them with more big name superstars with a winning mentality. I mean, I remember they had a time where it was kind of like, this team is not that great. Yeah. You know, they had like Matri, Pepe. Yeah. And, you know, like there, they, there were a few years like that. Who else did they have? They had a couple of strikers like um, oh, Pepe. I forgot about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, Borrello was it? Amari. You know, Am- Amaori. Yeah. Uh, Amaori. Yeah. yeah. So they had a few like not top top players, but in between there, yeah. kind of almost like waiting for to get to that. Uh, style of play and kind of build it up to it and their time really came well they were going up Inter and Milan really went down yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. and that gap has <laughs> been very big now absolutely absolutely 
uh, Inter and Milan, unlike with Juventus that we just said. Uh, as we talked about with DR, they lose Zanetti, they lose Materazzi and Ibrahimovic again, yeah. and Pirlo, and they have no one, the Gattuso, they have no one that can, they bring in no one that can replace them. Mm. And they, they didn't have anybody coming through that could really uh, replace them and you know get right into that winning mentality. Uh, so, but that's the key too. In in I remember I saw an interview with Diego Simeone. He was saying we have created our identity here at Atletico Madrid. Yeah, absolutely. And you know they've been to two finals in Champions League and also won the league. And you can when you think about Atletico Madrid, you know what kind of style of play they have. You know, yeah, exactly, you c- yeah. you know how hard work they do. And obviously, you know what kind of players they want to get in. And he said, the hard part is not to get to the, you know, top level of soccer. It's to stay there. And mm-hmm. two years ago, Juventus was in the Champions League final. And they kept going, man. The, a few players, they lost. Uh, the, they lost, like, the, Tevez, Tevez and uh, Pirlo, I think, as well. Pirlo. But who did they get in? They got in, you know, Kedira. Mm-hmm. They got in... Um, Dybala. Dybala. Uh, Higuain now. Exactly, Higuain and Pjanic. Yeah, Pjanic. So, I mean, people wonder if Juventus would be able to keep that up. They won three or four Serie A titles in a row. They got to the Champions League final. Some people thought this would be it for them. Yes, yes, but yes. Like you just said, there. I mean, they they reinforced their squad with more big name players like they have before. Right. And uh, what did they just do this past weekend? Right. Right. Or sorry, this past week. I mean, that's that's a wrestle of the smartness around this club. Yeah. Exactly like how Bayern Munich does. Right. As soon as a top player leaves, a new top player comes in. Exactly. Yeah. You know and. Like Real Madrid, throughout my entire life, whenever a top player goes up, a new top player comes in. Yeah. And they that's how they stay consistently in this level. Yeah. And this last week, Juventus at home won against the Barcelona. The team that beat them a few it, years ago. A few years ago in the final. Right. And this game, it was so... Um, the performance was just so dominant. So dominant. Game. So uh, dominant. They just utterly destroyed Barcelona. Three <laughs> zero. It looked like Barcelona didn't have anything to uh, compete against. Right. And uh, you know, on top of this, you kind of ask like, you know, how can they keep going, and what else can they do? They recently changed their logo, and they changed the logo from. Um, the old style to now it looks like it's uh, like, it's like a, a very stylized, stylized sort of J. J. You like it? What do you like the new logo? You know, um, I'm not a super fan because I'm so used to the old one, but I'm super big fan of the idea, idea. of yeah. modernize a club by making a few tweaks to the logo, and it actually gives a new image of the club. We are here in the top level. Right. That's the kind of sense this image of giving out. Right. I mean, Juventus, <clears throat> excuse me, Juventus, uh, probably this season more than any other season, are really displaying their intent for getting that Champions League title. They've got Syria, they've essentially got Syria wrapped up again this again. season. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They want that Champions League yeah. title, and I think this is their best shot, and they're 
they're more focused than ever on getting the Champions League title this season. And if you think, like, maybe they weren't experienced enough last time and didn't have the way, now they do. Exactly, yeah. Now they do. That know-how now, Exactly, exactly. Fascinating, man. Fascinating. Because they have come from being on the bottom and now they're on the top. Yeah. And they always kept going with new players in. And they did exactly the right way. Right way, right right way. And it, it has to come down Kerry, it has to come down to the people that work in the front desk, in the behind the scenes. Yeah. The, uh, from the president, from the director of uh, the club, and the sports director, to the coach, and to the players, that all of this line has the same kind of vision or ideas of playing that Absolutely, they can work yeah. towards. And uh, I'm not an expert, I admit, on like the business side of mm-hmm. football. The economic side, I am, but uh, you are. For <laughs> <laughs> but even I can see that Juventus yeah. are got to be one of the, if not the best run club in the world. Mm. With, I mean, we look at the transfer of big player Paul Pogba for how many, one hundred twenty million dollars or euros Oof. or something like that, and so they lose one superstar, but then right. they bring in two more in yeah. Iguain and Pjanic, yeah. and you see, you know, you wonder if players like. Dybala or or even Pjanic or Bonucci or someone will be drawn away by the big money of like Real Madrid right. or Manchester City or something. That's okay because Juventus, you look at pretty much every club in Serie A <laughs> and they all seem to have at least one or two players that are actually owned by Juventus yeah. out on out on loan. Yeah. So then as soon as those players get good uh, which some of them have been, then Juventus will just like, all right, we'll take them they back take now. Them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They are really using the the power uh, for influence in yeah. the league. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting to kind of look at how they worked, and maybe if we can look at other clubs in Europe, okay? Like other clubs that might be not at the obviously at the stage that Juventus in, but has that goal in mind. Yeah, I'm thinking about another team right now that is building a new stadium. That has been improving a lot the uh, last two years is um, Tottenham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tottenham has, uh, you know, building a new stadium. Pochettino has been there now for a couple of years and has really built up an identity, an idea, a vision, and has players that are very talented, experienced, and very motivated. And they're in the second spot right now. In Premier League and four points behind Chelsea. Yeah. Four points when in six games left, everything can happen. To be honest. Yeah, and then, I mean, they. You look at last season; they were for so long, so long looking true. like to be the only so club long. that will challenge Leicester. They threw it away maybe because of inexperience yeah. or so. But now they have a bit more experience. Yeah. They are in Champions League this season. They disappointed there, but they're going to be back next season. They've right. got a bit more experience with that too. So, uh, Tottenham, yeah, with the new stadium as well. Hopefully, the new stadium will end up, you know, as beneficial to them like Juventus is. Because, mm-hmm. you know, that can go either way with Arsenal and Emirates. That's kind of, that's had the opposite effect almost as Juventus's new stadium. Has what, what was Highbury for you? A very classic, classic English stadium. Yeah. Highbury. And that's, I know they, I think they had somewhere around the ground that said the home of football mm. which I think a lot of club stadiums have something like that 
But I mean, that is definitely the home of Arsenal's success, the spiritual home of Arsenal's yeah. success. And what you think of Arsenal Football Club, you think of Highbury. It's almost like uh, when you see that sign at Anfield, this is Liverpool yeah. and right. Anfield, and the players touching it, right? Yeah. I mean, that is kind of like, okay, here is the history, here is what we have achieved in this club. And for Arsenal, it was more of Highbury because yeah. it's been in the club for so long. And we all remember that how the camera was so close to the yeah, pitch, no. you know? Yeah, no. It's a small stadium, <laughs> but intense and compact, and the, the fans were so loud. And uh, the camera angle made it seem like, and I'm still confused about this sometimes <laughs> watching TVs now, watching TV nowadays, especially once you look at like Camp New where the camera is way up. <laughs> right. But uh, like it makes the pitch seem at Highbury, it seems so small. Yeah. Which I don't think it was really that small, I don't think, but it, maybe it was. But uh, smaller than it was it is now. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm. And the idea was Arsenal had a 10 year plan, like they said, right? Right. A 10 year plan where. We're going to compete with the best teams in the in, in, in Europe and for Champions League and we built Emirates Stadium, moved in, and slowly throughout the years Arsenal sold the like, you know. If I'm not wrong, I think Vera left uh, the season before they went to Emirates. Yeah. And Henri maybe had one or That's two right. seasons at Emirates. Right. And then after Henri was, you know, Quelev was sold. Perez was gone, and uh, Roberto Silva. Silva was also, well, you yeah. know, um, and Colo Torre. You know, I'm just Ashley coming Cole, in. right? Ashley I mean, Cole, so, yeah. You know, a couple of players left, right? And I, it was like a new era that kind of came in. Very talented young players came in. Um, Chesk, you mm-hmm. had Alexander Song, you had Van Persie, you had uh, Walcott. Walcott, you had really like. Uh, interesting squad coming up but never really a chance to replace right those players the, that right. the, the dignity or the caliber of those players we never had the chance to replace but yeah so that's uh that's how that's something that Juventus did do Juventus yes. and some other like Real Madrid like you right. said did do as soon as they lose those core big yeah. players they just replace them with more yeah. and that's what Arsenal haven't quite been able to do not mm-hmm. the same caliber anyway mm-hmm. uh, I mean the, Arsenal even had that period of time where they lost Alexander Song Chess Van right, Persie yeah. Nasri yeah. um, so even the big players that they did have did have they even lost those they, as they well. lost those too and kind of had to have a new rebuild yeah space really. and it is within one or two seasons and uh, you know if you look at like Corrancholotti said you know it's not easy to um, follow uh, Ferguson yeah and it takes time to build the identity um, but Ferguson was so amazingly great at um, keeping the core players, bringing in new talents, but still kind of have a... You never really understood when he had that generation exchange. Yeah, I know. You know? It never That's really true. happened. But once Ferguson left and Fangal took over, all of a sudden you were like, wait a minute, this is not really, you know... The, the team would recognize, you know, yeah. they sold Van Persie, now it was like just Rooney and Carrick and That's the Gia. That's, That's pretty much it. Whereas with Ferguson, I mean, I, I, 
once the with Ferguson once like Dwight York and Andy Cole left, right. then you bring in Rude Van Nistelrooy. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. When David Beckham leaves, they bring in Cristiano Ronaldo. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I guess Arsenal didn't do, and what I think part of the reason why they had to sell these players was because the move to the Emirates, mm-hmm. they had to you know pay off that. Mm-hmm. I guess the debt or something that they owed, yeah. pay off the Emirates. Um, and so I think some people understood this. A lot of people forget about this. Uh, that immediately after the move to the Emirates, it would take a bit of time before yeah. a bunch of big name players yeah. would come through. You know how Arsenal were kind of, yeah. Arsenal and Wenger were kind of reluctant to go out and buy a bunch of uh, big name players because they had to, you know, pay off the Emirates. Exactly. Uh, I think that's finished with now. It finished. I it's finished. Now. It's finished. So there shouldn't be any excuse. No. 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 <laughs> but. Uh, the excuse is from the board again from the top to the bottom what kind of direction are we really going at what is the top want and it's a american owner that has several sports teams and he's not really a soccer guy right? Yeah, right and he's a businessman from us so he has a uh, capitalist mindset yeah you know lower the cost increase the income and get as much as profit as possible and that mindset is not really working in today's soccer no. and uh, we just talked about when Manchester United had that downfall after Ferguson with Van Gaal and uh, it and was boys. exactly and, and Moyes of course now with this game this weekend, it felt like United were back. Yeah. It felt like when you watched United Chelsea, like, dude, man, this is two great teams. It's almost like that time where uh, John Terry, Frank Lampard, Mikel Balak, Drogba were playing against uh, Berbatov, Ronaldo, Rooney, and Vidic. That era. Mm. But in a modern time, in a new way of playing, new style of playing, new uh, talents. And uh, it was amazing to watch the tactical fight between Conte and Mourinho. It Mm. was so much passion. It was so much meaning behind this game that uh, Premier League, to be honest, hasn't had in a while. You know, this was prestige game between two top teams, two top managers and you know, Manchester and London itself. Right. I mean, first of all, I, uh, this was pretty much probably uh, Manchester United's best game of the season. For sure, for sure. Uh, and they deserved their, their win, 2 yeah. nothing win, right? They deserved it for sure. But would you say this sort of made you forget, as you were watching, that this was a game between first with Chelsea, who up until then, we've got a race now, yeah. but up until then, have pretty much run away with it already, yeah. and uh, United were in sixth, no, fifth, uh, or sixth, I forget, fifth, sorry, yeah, fifth, fifth. sorry, fifth. with uh, out of the Champions League, well behind Chelsea, and still a few points behind fourth place as well. It's made you almost forget of that, that, that these two teams are so far it apart. Did. It did, it did, it did. It, 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 did because it felt like what Mourinho had been trying to build showed in this game. Mm. So for, for now, they've been, you know, when you look, read, when you listen to some of the interviews with Carrick, Ibra, they say that we know our level is way higher. We just haven't been able to win the game, score goals, and it's been frustrating. But in this game, it really felt like they showed where they 
about to go to. Uh-huh. And that's kind of what the fans want. We kind of want to see where we're going, right? And what have United done? What have they done? In what sense? Are you asking me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what now? I mean, I'm asking what have they done from this decline to come to this point? Oh, oh, they oh, had oh, a transition okay. with I, two course, coaches, and with Mourinho coming in, they really showed something with right. Mourinho coming in. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, get... he, you know, he was the coach for Chelsea, but they really brought Mourinho in. I know, and to be fair, I was kind of spectacle with Mourinho going yeah. United. I think he's too antagonistic. He's too, you know. I don't know, not aggressive, but he's too... He doesn't quite seem to fit Mm-mm. the ideal Manchester United manager. He does... The way he played under Chelsea, or with Chelsea, and even, like, Inter Milan and yeah. Real Madrid, isn't exactly how Manchester United played under Alex Ferguson. So I was kind of skeptical, but bringing in Mourinho, he brought in a guy with ambition, for sure, and a guy that was successful and is was one of the top player, uh, managers in the world. Yes. So. And he brought in. Ibrahimovic, Paul Pogba, Mkhitaryan. So he's got Juan Mata and Ander Herrera exactly. to play probably some of the best right. soccer of their career. Right. So. So one way to kind of find back to your identity, you know, find back to this profile of what the club is outwards also get that feeling in the locker room around the stadium it's by showing that you have the ambition yeah and that's something um i really believe that arsenal will have to do this summer yeah for sure i mean it, it has to go that way there's nothing else, you know. You have to go that way. And uh, I think the ambition comes with knowing how, like, not just the style of play, but knowing exactly how you want to go about doing things. It doesn't have to be pretty or, you know, on the field. You don't have to score a ton of goals. You mm-hmm. just have to know what your each person's role is on the field, off the field, in the boardroom. Everyone has to know their role exactly. and then stick to it. Exactly, uh, and I think that's where that's where results come in. And it's fascinating to see where this modern time football is going because we have um, City, Chelsea, right. Liverpool. We got Manchester United. You know, you have Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Juventus. Juventus. You have Borussia Dortmund. You have these clubs that have one one way or another figured it out mm. one way or another figured it out the way of system or what kind of culture and how to make that culture grow and uh, there are teams that wants to get into that category PSG right Arsenal um, you know you have Napoli uh, Roma exactly Milan exactly so we are really looking forward for uh, not only the business aspect of where soccer is going, but also how the game itself is changing so fast right now. Yeah. Ten years ago, Juventus were in Serie B. Yeah. And this year... Say it. I know what you're going to say. Say it. I know you want me to say it. I'd say it. And this year, they have a big 
chance to win Champions League. They will win Champions League. That's why I'm saying you heard it here first. You heard it here first on Oz Coaching King Soccer Podcast Show.